Dalek linger <laughs> <Echo> out <laughs> and then. Welcome to another episode of Voyage of the Geek. On this date, the 2nd of February 2017. Mm-hmm. Joining me as always, Dan Miller. My hey. name's Dave Scotland. And absent one, Tom McGill, mm. who went down sick at some point this afternoon. Mm. Um, Taken out by yeah. a rogue migraine or something. Some or other. kind of... Uh, Transient disease, <laughs> airborne thing. Disease of I'm mind. sure. Um, who was going to join us uh, for our review session of a classic piece of cinema. Yes. The uh, the classic Tron. Mm. Disney's Tron. Mm. Probably one of, the, uh, one of the major milestones in computer graphics history. Um, certainly the, the gate opener, shall we say. The first milestone. Mm. I don't know what you'd have... Before that, yeah, we did a kind of investigation. You know, TV ads and stuff, probably. Yeah, SIGGRAPH C- presentations. Probably SIGGRAPH presentations. You know, yeah. um, lots of maybe university or college, as they would say in the States, college boffins playing with the tech, mm. but no one really taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Until, until 1982, or I guess a few years before 1982 when they... Well, a few years after 1982, because you know the famous story that they got knocked back at the Oscars because they cheated. That's right. they were using damn computers to do the special effects. Computers was con- were considered... Uh, the use of computers was considered cheating. <laughs> Somehow. Not a serious art form. I can quite understand. It's funny how it... Um, Imagine you were doing it using finger painting, but it still looked friggin' awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what? You'd say, yeah. well, that's not that's not how you do it. You can't have that. It just makes, when you hear that, when you hear that the uh, the Academy um, mocked this type of filmmaking, yeah. um, you just see, a, in your mind, you see a bunch of old fogies in a room, <clears throat> um, dust sitting on their shoulders and, you know, just... The old ways. It was all about the old ways and the old, you know, something new was a threat to their... Yeah, yeah. You, know. you can imagine people just dismissing it. I can imagine, I can guess, I can imagine people just dismissing it because, I don't know, you'd have to just dismiss it. Because if you actually went and watched it and checked it out and you're like, those are, those effects are pretty visual and special. Yeah. Those yeah. are. I mean, you'd have to, you know, it's, I suppose the only way to, yeah, you just have to just say... No, sorry. Will not stand, I'm afraid. We only use certain techniques here and nothing's legit. But anyway, that's what you get when you're cutting edge and you're breaking moulds and you're inventing new genres. Yeah, and there was... um, I saw one article and I read it a long time ago and then I read it recently again about the artists that were asked to come and help with the animation because mm-hmm. there are actually 2D animation uh, or animated 
assets within the film. Mm. And I only rewatched it the other day and I saw a couple mm. um, that stood out. What do you mean 2D as in hand-drawn 2D? Hand-drawn, hand-drawn okay. 2D stuff. Can you remember what sequences they um, were? There was one where one of the characters fell. Um, fell and landed yeah yeah um, and that was hand drawn and there was some rubble when the bridge explodes the the light bikes go across the bridge Uh and then the the tank sort of takes the bridge out Um, some of the rubble I think was hand drawn as well Mm -hmm. I think there was some uh, overlay visual effects that were hand drawn in you know sparky lightning that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. um The guys that were asked to come and work on it wouldn't (laughs) because they were traditional Disney 2D animators and they saw this thing as the death of their future as a a 2D artist. As it turned out, it took another 22 years Mm -hmm. for it to be an actual death. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. People stopped putting pen to paper on animated features um, 22 years after after that. 94 or something like that yeah yeah then it was all sort of um, digital animation and all the tweening was done digitally and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. yeah that's yep. interesting so um, a computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games where he his only chance of escape is with the help of a heroic security program mm-hmm that's one tagline mm-hmm. um, definitely if you're interested in Taglines and how people, you know, it's a it's a cool rat hole to go down to go go down if you're bored on a rainy Sunday afternoon is to have a look at some classic films and see the taglines that went into them. Up it, oh, is that like the official? Well, well is that some official, sort of official tagline, or is it just a, a rewrite tagline by somebody? Yeah, I don't think it's an official tagline, okay. um, but it's one of the IMDb taglines. There's about six on IMDb. Yeah, I was up there before, but by different people. Like little well, mini synopses. No, no, the synopses seem to be credited. To yeah, people, that's right. But the taglines aren't. Okay. And that's okay. why it makes me sort of wonder whether they were the official ones um, used. Let me let me read out a couple here. Is it the tagline is definitely a tagline for the story, not a some sort of technical description. Can you just scan it's, it again? The the one that you just read out? It's just it's solely Solely focused on the story. Um, yeah, it should be. Well, yeah. no, not necessarily. Um, let me try and bring it up here. There was, there was a couple that were more. They sort of read a little bit more like um, advertising okay. of the fad of okay. it. Like, um, oh, okay, no, no, no. That's that's like sorry. one of them is three words: the electronic gladiator. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right? Um, these are the ones that are that are that are on IMDb here, and there's so only ha- there's there's seven. So hang on, they're they're then good taglines because the tagline is there for marketing purposes, right? Generally, yeah, tagline right. is yep. And Pretty even much. if you use it during production, which is what we're more used to, which is a logline, that's for the sale of the concept to get green lit, to get yeah. funding, to get some people on board. Yeah, but we're still marketing it. Yeah, you know, we're just marketing it with slightly different language. And one, but one of the differences is going to be the ending. Is the ending right? Because yeah. in the, our world, we put the ending in. The logline has spoilers in it. Yes, it's got to have spoilers in. Otherwise, it. the checks don't get <laughs> yeah, signed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got to tell her how it ends in the. Yeah. But the tagline. Shouldn't have spoilers in it, like the one that you just read, which was the what was it, the electronic gladiator, the electronic thing? gladiator, or small boy sees dead people. 
Yeah. You know, or boy, uh, young boy befriends alien. It, yeah. It's the sort of thing, if you hit the info, mm. I tell students that um, a tagline is what you get when you hit info when you're watching ah, a TV show. Yeah, yeah. It's usually one sentence. Mm-hmm. It's usually really economically worded. Mm. So it's, it it's entices you. Mm. It's supposed to get you to hook, hook you in. Mm. Um, so in the future, video game battles will be a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. So you can see that on the bottom of a poster, can't you? Yep, yep. Um, the, a world inside the computer where man has never been, never before now. Mm, which okay. is strange. That's a sentence. Never before now. It's got a nice alliteration to it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, step inside the computer world, Tron. Right, so full, okay. full stop, Tron. Okay. Um, trapped in a fight to the finish inside the video world he created. So that's the UK theatrical tagline. Okay. So these must be official because that one's in brackets. Right. And it says UK theatrical. Right. So it must be, it's the sort of thing that you see at the end of a trailer mm. at the cinema. You'll, you'll have it sort of. Or written on a poster. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. at the base of a poster. Or mm. those all black, white text comes up. Yeah. Um, while you're waiting for your film to start, they'll mm. do those trailers and, and then mm. they'll have a few shots. Um, was there another one? Um, on the other side of the screen, it all looked so easy. <laughs> so they're the they're the uh, they're the taglines. So they're definitely taglines, yeah. I think, because you know they're not log lines because that's what I'm thinking about right at the moment. They're not log lines because they they don't tell you they don't much tell you about the, no, they no. don't tell you anything. They well, they tag- give you a hint of the vibe. Well, the taglines meant to pique your curiosity. Yeah. And yeah. curiosity being what it is in humans, that's yeah. all you need. Yeah. You pick that curiosity, people go looking for an answer. What does that mean? Yeah. And that's a good tagline. It's like, that sounds interesting, but I want to know what it really means. Yeah. yeah. Um, trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. <laughs> so that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a bit terrible, that one. <laughs> where love does not compute. Yeah. I didn't see any love in the whole film. There was no love <laughs> at all. At one point... There was a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Like she's jumping all over the place, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. like, it's all the, albeit in between two different worlds, mm. right? Because she's cracking on to, uh, to Finn in the computer world, but in the out in the real world, she's the other guy's yeah, uh, yeah. girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I didn't see a, a lot of love. No. Did you? No. No. So not a big big theme in the, in the thing, in the... Yeah. So the other one was, uh, what I read out before was pretty much a synopsis. But then when you think about it, look at the poster. Yeah, they're selling it as a love story. <laughs> this is not a thing. Guy, girl, arm in arm, against the electronic world. We'll <laughs> so take them on. A bit of a bit of trivia. This Notice she's got the stack hat helmet on. <laughs> yeah. Um, during the actual film, that mysteriously lands on her head. Um, she spends, she's got like a skull cap. Like a thin okay. fabric skull yeah, cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then at some point when they're on the, what's the glider thing called again? Uh, the, l- With the big sails. I can't remember, but I'll remember as soon as somebody tells me. Yeah. Um, whenever she's light on sail. that. Yeah, yeah, the light sail, whatever yeah, it, it is. is. She's got the stack hat on, and then when she's off it, she doesn't have the stack hat on again. Well, that's how computers work, man. Of course, of course. That's exactly what they do. They upload things. Algorithm. and they algorithm. That's right. They, they change things in the middle, and yes, and they sometimes forget what hats they're wearing. So, it was released in 1982. Yeah. Um, it runs for an hour of 36 minutes, which is not a huge 
90 minutes. No, about no, average. That's yeah. about average for the films of the 80s. Yeah. Um, it's got an IMDb score of 6.8 out of 10, voted on by 96,000 Ninety-six and a half thousand IMDb members. Mm-hmm. That's not too bad. Six point eight's not too bad. So it's th- pretty good. I think there's a, there's an affectionate connection. I was going to ask how it, many stars it are, clouds some of those. How how many stars are nostalgia stars? Yeah, absolutely. Well, ninety-six and a half thousand people voted for Tron. So you, it's not the sort of movie that that a hundred thousand people would go out and vote for mm-hmm. if not for some kind of connection. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. not exactly a. Uh, cinema marvel of storytelling and stuff like that. It's quite, mm. quite a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I was talking to Finn on the way out the door, and you could—he was the one that reminded me that when you talk about stuff like Tron, yeah, there's an emotional connection there. Uh-huh. Most of most of the time, it's because it came from your childhood. Yeah, yeah. You were seeing something that was just magic. No, no one yeah. had ever seen of it. You know, the people are glowing. It was you know, new. It was, it was, yeah, definitely. Those light cycles. When you yeah, see those yeah. light cycles for the first time, turning yeah. it right, right at 90 degree right-hand corners, um, that was magic. Yeah. That was wizardry. Yeah. What was well, Finn's opinion? Um, he was similar. He was speaking this, similar to the way I speak of Tron. Cool. And as soon as I heard his voice, I could tell that there was a, a <laughs> connection. There was a personal af- a affection for, mm-hmm. for the property. Nice. Yeah. And yeah. especially when you bring up the new Tron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get that. No, 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 no. No, the original. <laughs> yeah, you know that's what I mean? right. Yeah, yeah. You've got the wrong one. That confirms yeah, yeah. that there's a that That's there's the a second one. <laughs> um, it cost... Um, 17 million? Yeah, that's what I'd heard. 17 million, which is quite a lot more than I would have... I don't know. If I would have had to have guessed, I yep. would have guessed less than 17 million for some reason. Yep. I think the the guys whose idea it was secured about 5 million mm-hmm. from what I, what I read um, and got on board. His theory was to secure a bit of money to get the pre-production done. They got storyboards, script done, or they storyboarded the whole film. Mm-hmm. Then he was going to go out and secure computer companies to help to finance it because really the movie was selling the tech. Yeah, okay. So he saw it as this opportunity, but no one got on board except for one mob who I think was Triple I. Yeah, okay. I can't remember which. There, yeah. there was ultimately... Triple I's like... Information, information interna- international Inc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something ridiculous <laughs> like that. A uh, bunch of others came tax on agents board once. crunching numbers is yeah, what they were. Yeah, I doing. think Disney. He took it to Disney, um, and they were unsure about it. And I think they did a little <clears throat> sequence. They did a little little test shot or something, mm. and um, and liked the tech and put up the other twelve million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where Magi came on board. Yeah. A couple yep. of other computer companies yep. came on board. Yeah. They started to land some key personnel. Yeah. Um it grossed thirty three million at the time. So literally it um it doubled its earnings. Mm-hmm. And that would mean in today's world it's a mm-hmm. hundred and fifty million dollar film that grossed th- three hundred million. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like it, yeah. it doesn't it usually doesn't work that way. Normally mm. It's very, very rare that you would spend, and unless you're spending 150 million, it's rare that you would spend a couple of million and then double it. Like yeah. it doesn't, it does. It tends not to work that way. There's, there's like Deadpool is a good example of something outside of the box in mm. relation to that sort of. So you're saying the doubling it is is good or extraordinary? It's pretty extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, it's not. Um, like it took Ghostbusters I a very long time to double their. Yeah, I feel it's more average extraordinary rather than 
super extraordinary. No, I mean this in this day and age, and I think it's got a lot okay. to do with the fact that most films are two hundred million dollar budgets, or at yeah. least a hundred million dollar budgets. Yeah, yeah. Anything that is low not, budget, which is what this is, there's nineteen eighty two money as well. What was the um, let me inflation? show you the adjusted? Um, if we look at this um, as an adjustment, oh, do they give adjustment figures? Do they twenty seventeen? Yeah, you can just come up into your adjuster oh. here. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So it's 97. that It domestically took 97. Right. Which would indicate that it... Um, I wonder whether the adjuster does the budget. Well, we could probably calculate. What's the unadjusted? Well, it'd be half that. Well, half, so yeah. Essentially, okay, it'd be half that. 40, yeah, 45 46 plus. or something like that. Um, 40, which, that's... Yeah, I don't know. There's nothing to complain about, doubling your money. Yeah. And films that. have gotten a lot more expensive. There's... Way more humans involved in, in them, and and that's beyond the film as well. I think there's another factor at play is that um, it came out in the shadow, literally, of ET. Oh yeah. So ET was still a friggin' raging success, yeah. And kind of the tale when that's sort of dying down. That's when Tron came out. Yeah. So probably not so auspicious for it is that um, it had to compete with being, I don't know, a little bit hidden behind the staggering success of E.T. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, this is the uh, – that's that's sort of the rundown on the facts and figures for Tron. I'll just pull this over here. Um, so the the year it's released, the sort of box office, what it cost. Um, did we know that Disney created it? But let's talk about – Let's talk about the narrative first. All right. Now, I know you've got some stuff that you want to talk about, but let's – first of all, I want to ask, like, you, want to you just, watched it recently? Yep. And so did I in the last couple of days. Mm. How did it stand up narrative-wise? Forget about the shiny shiny lights and the mm-hmm. zippy bikes and stuff like that. As a story, because one of the biggest critiques at the time, one of the most – negative sort of critiques that were happening at the time. There were two camps when this film was released. One was the people that were giving it glowing reports in relation to its technical achievement. Mm. Then there was the other camp that thought it was a mess as far as storytelling, um, you know, lights and lasers all day, but, you know, they can't tell a story is the sort of... I'm definitely one of the people in the camp that has complained in the past that special effects do not um, carry the day without... You know the story holding up the other end. Yeah. You know. So, um, did was your experience different in the last time you watched it relative to way back? In the uh, way look, back look, I, I have, I want to do a bit of an analysis of the story yep. for my own benefits because I can't really see it that objectively yeah. because, as we said, you know, it was a kind of a, a hero thing in the past. Yeah. And I like it for what it what it is, and if it had. Whatever it had in it, it doesn't matter. I like it for what it is. But, you know, I'm willing to say that um, the characters are pretty pretty unspectacular. Yep. And if the characters have an arc, it's a pretty flat arc. Yep. Right? So they arrive on day one yep. with a certain frame of mind, a certain personality, yeah. and they walk out of the show with the exact same personality. The, the whole thing almost happens in real time. Like it almost happens in real time. Oh, you mean in, well in zero time? Is is that what you're saying? Well, if you took out the bit that's, that happens in the computer, which could happen in a nanosecond, right? All right, this is an interesting ang- angle. In the real world, mm. 
the guy gets locked out, goes up, sees the boss, goes down, picks up the girlfriend who's in the middle of an experiment. They so, get in a okay, van. <laughs> they go to the. Do you know what I mean? No, like, I the totally whole no. thing happens totally. in one night. So um, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But so it. But it, remember, it's only Flynn who goes into the computer. Yeah, that's, right. That's right. So the other two who are outside. Yeah, that's a fair, fair cop. Perhaps they shouldn't have a story arc, right? Yeah. They shouldn't have an arc. Yeah. But Flynn should. Um, and also probably um, Tron yes. and Yori inside the computer yes. should have an arc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they have much of an arc. I don't know if Flynn has much of an arc. So there's that. Um, and I think, you know, that's an important part of a story is that the character has moved. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's, a, that's one of the things about a, a story that you don't want it to be the same at the start as it is in the end and if it is why the fuck do you bother telling the damn story <laughs> yeah absolutely. you know yeah, came yeah. home sat down watch telly yeah next day came home sat down watch telly it's like okay <laughs> yep um which I is wa- why which is why people hate those um and she woke up and it was all a bad dream endings right you know what i mean like because I'm where i started yes you yes. took me on this bullshit journey and i'm right back where i started and yeah. i didn't i I got nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a, an example of a writer who's literally got nothing and then he's like, oh, I got a genius idea. Well, just pretend it's all a dream. Um, yeah, so I want to do a bit of analysis of the story um, itself. I mean, sometimes I think it gets a bit of um, a bit of shtick for um, perhaps bad writing. So this is, or there's a bit of clunky writing in there, I'm yep. pretty sure, you know. Um and those are really lines that are just a bit awkward and mm. difficult for the actor to deliver. Mm. Um, so there's that, but I, I don't think on the whole that it. it I mean, it's service, serviceable. It does does the trick. It does what it needs to do. Yeah. But yeah, as for the story, I want to do a little bit of analysis of it. So, what's your reflections on the, those points? No, I agree. I I saw a very different movie because I haven't seen. I haven't watched the original Tron in. A long oh, time. okay, right. A long time. Okay, um, and I, my memories of what it was is very different to what I saw, and I found it very. I was happy with the technical stuff. I was happy with because I recognised where it was in the timeline, and you know how um, how much of an achievement it was, and stuff like that. So I was okay with mm. with the the jittery hand rotoed mm. stuff that was going on in every frame, mm. sort of stuff. Um, you get used to that pretty quickly. I think more than get used to it, I think that's part of it. Yeah. If they chucked a Lucas and tried to clean that out, you'd yeah. be like, hang on a minute, you yeah, fucking yeah. wrecked it. Yeah. What are you doing? You know? And if you if you move past that, then you're left with the characters in the story. Yeah. And I felt it was really cardboard, like mm. it was wafer thin. There was mm. no depth to it anywhere. Mm. The, the only person in the whole thing that had some depth was the bad guy upstairs who stole Dillinger stole all the IP from Flynn in the first place mm-hmm. to make MPC mm-hmm. MPC MCP yep MCP um, so we get more backstory with him and and the fact that he create you know tries to establish dominance with MCP you know I created you and mm. and then MCP put him in his place and you could see that that actor was really trying to portray a, a a person that was struggling with the fact that he created this monster and he's losing control of the monster and now he's wondering whether the monster's controlling him, which he is. Yeah. Um, completely, you know, calling him back from meetings and things like that. 
So I found his his character was the only one that had the depth that that you want in a story. The others were way for thin. I think part of that is because if you think about it, he's the only one who's kind of interacting with the real world and the game world sort of simultaneously and yeah. kind of constantly. And with complete knowledge. And with complete knowledge, true. Yeah. All of the other characters are stuck in the world, one or the other, and they seem to be a bit separated from the two. Flynn, of course, knows that he's he's in the game world, yeah. but he's not intera- interacting really with the outside world in the way that Dillinger and Sark and... MC and the MCP are. Yeah. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think it's half the writing. Yeah. And I also think that the acting was subpar. Mm. I think Jeff Bridges is, he's come into his own mm. in, um, and other people will, you know, someone that's potentially older than me might argue that he's a great actor of the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Um, I never really liked anything he was in in anything from all the way up to sort of the mid-90s. And then he mm. started to do, like a Big Lebowski, mm. um, that was his turning point in my mind. Mm. That's when oh, yeah. he started to do some great stuff. And it was, he became uh, introverted. He became very internal with his the way he acts. And mm-hmm. now when you see him in True Grit um, and even in um, Iron Man, when he played uh, Tony Stark's CEO mm-hmm. of the company, whatever, in the first one, you got somebody mm. that was, it was internal and it was, he didn't, he didn't have to over enunciate and accentuate. Well, he did in his early career, and it just used to annoy me. All right, because he was fairly dynamic in the thing. If you're going to complain that perhaps the other actors, uh, the Tron guy and Yori and that, they were all a bit, bit straight and a bit uh, yeah. flat. Yeah. Jeff Bridges was certainly the more dynamic. He's, he's actually shouting right. and he's kind of screaming and Absolutely. he dances around. When you when you compare, yeah, everything's relative. He's more, yeah, he's more. Animated than those other guys are. Yeah, I forget her name. He's his name's Bruce Boxlighter. Boxlighter, yeah. yeah. And no, I can't remember the other. He he name. had a bit of a run on television. He was yeah, yeah. Like an Indiana Jones type character. He was. I forget. The I'm name sure he was in a bunch of TV shows. TV. Kim Solomon's yeah. Mines or something. <laughs> yeah, like that. something of that ilk. Uh, but her, I saw in a lot of films of in the 80s. She was mm. in a um, she was in a Pink Panther movie with Peter oh, Sellers. Was she? Um, in fact, I think she was in the Pink Panther. Panther movie where Peter Sellers died during pre-production and they decided, fuck it, we're just going to make it anyway. And they wrote his character into an accident which they took from a previous film that didn't get aired and then wrapped him up in bandages, uh, another actor, Uh and portrayed him as... Peter Sellers in the film, and she was she was the daughter of the Charles Lytton or something. Uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't, you know, she's not exactly A grade acting stock. Mm, mm. So yeah, I mean, that for me made it difficult to, for me to connect. I just they, their, their performances were wooden, but I know the writing wasn't helping them. Mm. I don't know. I still still see it with the the kids' eyes when I watch it. Yeah. So, and to be honest with you, yeah, it's more about the world and the special effects. And I suppose I also see it with a bit of the, um, you know, how it was made and the technology in the background. So, I'm a bit guilty of ignoring the story and the characters. And yeah. maybe that's a symptom of the fact that they are pretty bland and flat, and they don't jump up in your mm. in your face and um, and steal the show. You know. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. what's the what's <clears throat> the narrative mechanism? 
that they were using here. You, you've spoken about the, the the hero's journey, and we talk about narrative mechanism quite a lot when we when we um, in in our day job, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got something to have a look at. Let's, yeah, for let's, sure. Let's have a look at the narrative mechanism. Also. All right. Well, let me give you a prelude. Just leave that up for the moment. Give yep. you a, pl- a prelude before we we get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pre- prelude, I suppose, is that you can analyze the story. However you damn well want, right? There's no rules. So you could analyse the story from in terms of word count. Yeah. Right? How many words with the letter E? Mm-hmm. And then you can give it a E count and you can post it up on IMDB. The E count for Star Wars is this and the E count for this movie is that. Mm-hmm. So you can use whatever method you want. How many, you know, how much grass is in the movie? Whatever you want. But... For it to be meaningful, you know, you've got to find some mechanism for it to be meaningful and why it's meaningful. Yeah. All right. So, the one that I like, and so this is just an aesthetic choice, right? The one that I like is Joseph Campbell's Monomyth. Yep. So, can you maybe, if I can put you on the spot, give me a impression of what, how you would describe Joseph Campbell and the Monomyth? The... Just to see if it differs with what I well, would understand it as. As far as Joseph Campbell's concerned, mm. my knowledge of his teachings is of the hero's journey. Of, yeah. Of the, um, um, That's essentially the same thing. The hero's journey, the monomyth. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the same character. Um, it's a coming of age usually. It's a journey from one state to another. Okay. Boy to man, um, coward to hero, mm-hmm. um, one state to another. And there are usually some really key figures that factor into the hero's mm-hmm. myth. There's normally a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's normally um, a big brother sort of um, protector mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that has his back sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a goal. There's a ticking clock. There's a bunch of those sort of, uh, I guess, pieces of the pie yeah. that, that go into it. But usually it's a single person um, moving from one, it could be physical location from one to the one place to the other, or it could be just boy to man, um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Okay, yep, that's basically that's a that's a basic version of my understanding. If I can flesh out a few little bits and add a few little details Absolutely. to that, is that essentially what Joseph Campbell is is a historian, <clears throat> right? And what historians do when they're studying history is all they've got usually is documents. Yep. And so what they usually do is they just make lists of things. So they make lists of the shape, because these are handwritten documents, right, from a thousand, thousand, thousand years ago. They make a, make a list of all the shapes of all of the letters. And then they see what happens in the list. And then, then you can sort of say, well, the person who wrote this wrote their E's this way. But yeah. then halfway through at the bottom, all the E's are different. And then you might say to yourself, well, maybe one person wrote the first half and one person wrote the second. So they're examining these things on this very fundamental level. And so that's what Joseph Campbell was doing, except he was analysing the stories and he's looking for um, common features. Mm -hmm. So he's examining stories from um, all sorts of different cultures. And right back in time. And specifically ancient stories. Mm -hmm. And there are some very famous stories that are not like the Epic of Gilgamesh, for example, these are very, very famous stories, but they're not famous today. These are, th- and this is quite an amazing thing. I just got a slight, t- slight tangent here. How long has um, Tron been around in terms of its story since the eighties? You know, twenty, thirty odd years. Something like the ec- Epic of Gilgamesh was a story written 
8,000 years ago and it existed for 6,000 years or something like that. It's like these stories that exist. Imagine Tron, but 5,000 years from 1982. People are still reciting the story. (laughs) That's the epic of Gilgamesh. This is the sort of scale that we're talking about. So um, Joseph Campbell's – and he's talking about – he's taking stories from the Bible which have these sort of similar – pedigree, the similar heritage, uh, stories about the Buddha, all of these sort of things, these grand, you know, classic, and he's divvying them up, collecting all of the little pieces that are all of the same and placing them in order. Mm-hmm. And so what he produces in the end is this thing, which is called the monomyth, the single myth. So this is the archetypal story. And this is what kind of is common to all of those stories. Some of the details will be different. Somebody lives in this place, they live in that place. But the things that happen and the order in which they happen, there's this common pattern. And that's what he's got here. So you can flick over to the screen now if you want. Um, And so this is why I like examining stories in terms of the monomyth. Because you can examine it in terms of like a three-act structure and various different things. I'll restart now. (laughs) I, I restarted his. I restarted the damn thing before I started the show. You suck, Windows Ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you it's going to conk out halfway through. Anyway, so that's why I like um, using rather than counting the number of E's in the story because that doesn't relate to anything. Yep. But if you examine the story against the mono the mono myth, you're sort of comparing it to the classic archetype of a story. Yep. All right. So, <clears throat> some of the features that these stories have, as you were saying, they have a hero usually. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's sometimes called the journey of the hero. And we're talking about a character arc here where the hero goes on a journey. And it's not just a journey to East Africa to collect the diamonds. It's also a internal journey where they change as a person. Yeah. And so, that's another important thing. Another really, really important feature of the monomyth is, you can see it's called here, they've got... Um, you can see, okay, it's laid out here, and it goes around counterclockwise for some reason. So it starts at the top, and for those who are just listening at, at home or whatever, there's a, there's a bunch of 17 or so points, like on a clock, okay? And each point is one of these key features, and it goes around, and then it comes back to the top. And the, the, other, the other essential part of it is that there is two hemispheres to the story, mm-hmm. and they are divided into the normal world. Yep. And the special world, uh-huh. and and so that's some, one of the the prime sort of archetypes of the story is dividing it into when is the hero in the normal world mm-hmm. and when is the hero not in the normal world, um, and this can be um, subtle. It doesn't have to be literal either. So if you've got an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, mm. and he's going to go to Nicaragua, and he's going to fight. You know, the cocaine traffickers down there or something or other. Nicaragua is the underworld. Yep. It's the dark world. Yep. It's the special world. It's the not normal world. Yep. So it doesn't mean that they have to go off into space or go back in time or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just that the hero's been taken out of their comfort zone. So there's a whole po- bunch of points around this, this, this thing. And so what I was thinking is we'd sort of cruise around from start to finish mm. and we'd just kind of check, it, check in at each one and just see whether Tron... Matches up to that point. Cool. Simple. Just maximize that. Uh, maximize. Booyah. Cool. Okay, so the first one is the call to adventure. 
Okay, so I'll even read out these things. This is this is my favourite kind of description of it. There's lots of people who do the interpretations and descriptions. You can find it on the internet. It's really easy. Um, the hero starts off in a mundane situation of normality from which some information is received um, that acts as a call uh, to head off into the unknown. My stories have that because otherwise you just stay at home watching the telly. Right, so that's a bit of a, but that's certainly in there, right? Because Flynn's normally at at his arcade mm, yep. playing his computer games, yep. right? So, so, so that's a, that's a bit a bit of a a simple one. So the next one though is an interesting one. This is the refusal of the call. Often, when uh, the call is given, the call to adventure is given, the future hero refuses to heed it. This may be from some sense of duty or obligation or fear, insecurity, or a sense of inadequacy. The, the there's two points about this, um, and that is that, you know, the hero is going to go on a journey, and the hero is going to start off. The hero is not a hero at the start, mm. so that's kind of natural that they have to not consider themselves a hero. They're going to become the hero when they go through the journey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's often the refusal of the call, um, and that, I don't think that was present. I don't think that's present either in Tron, and I think it was an acting choice. I think it was a director acting choice that he came across as a smarmy know-it-all. Um, everyone, no one is as, as intelligent as I am, mm-hmm. and um, you know the M- MP MCP. It doesn't matter. I shut him down. I'll get in there. I'll make some new access codes. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? There yeah. was never any. He was always in he was, his mind. He he knew he, everything. I think he's more of the instigator. He's really the one who's active. The only way I think could think that the refusal of the call might apply is that if he wanted to just stay and play his computer games. Remember, he's yeah. in the, the arcade and everybody's around him and yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah. going, yeah, you're awesome, 600 yeah. points, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the only way I could think the the refusal is that he's like, yeah. doesn't care about that anymore and he just wants to stay. he makes the call. Yeah, yeah. Like he's the one that puts the idea in their head. And, like, we could go and do that now. We could go and fix that now sort of thing. Um, so that's almost the opposite of refusing the call. He actually comes up with the idea to, to, to do it. And so this is a bit of an opposite to the, the traditional hero because the traditional hero, you don't want the hero to be big-noting themselves yeah. and you don't want the hero to be the attacker, Yeah. right? The hero is not the one that says, let's all go off and fight the bad guys. The hero is the one that says, you know, the hero is going to have to be forced into it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And that's more heroic, I think, also because it's a more dynamic journey. Yeah. Because if you're going to, you're the sort of person that rushes around and charges off towards things, when you do charge off, there's less of a distance to travel. Whereas if you're, anyway. Yeah. Okay, so probably not the refusal to call. The next one is the supernatural aid. So once the hero has committed to the quest, consciously or unconsciously, his or her guide and. He, his or her guide and magical helper appears or becomes known. Yep. So the classic one, of course, um, this might, uh, this is where Star Wars is, you know, just fits right on this track. You know, it's, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi turns up. Yep. Sometimes this supernatural aid is also to, um, interpreted as a magical object. Yeah. You know, a magic sword or a magic something or other. So do you think that there's any super mag- you know supernatural it's it's described as supernatural 
And I suppose it is in sense of the story is yeah. that because it's not mundane. It's not like his pipe. Yeah, yeah. It's not like his car keys yeah, are the yeah. you know the hero things. It's he's got something special that other people don't have. Yeah, yeah. Normal people don't have. Mm. And but he, I, but he possesses it himself, sort of thing. This and that's that knowledge and education and it's possibly some knowledge in his head you could interpret it that way but i can't remember there being an external aid i don't know if it has to be external like i mean outside him yeah yeah there was no there was no person that helped him no he didn't have a help but it could be an object it doesn't have to be a a, was there an object that little thing Okay, that's the that's the first thought. Bit, bit, bit. Yeah, He's yeah, going, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, there is another object. Hmm. He has a magic frisbee. He does. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they have their data discs. He's got the data discs, right? Yeah. So he does have a magic item. Yeah. You know, everybody kind of has one. Yeah. But because he's like the programmer and stuff. Mm. I don't know, maybe Tron's one is the super one that has to get shoved up the NPC's, yeah. you know, nose at the end. Mm. Um, but there kind of is one of those super things. It's, it's those discs, mm. right? All right, here we go with the next one. Um, the next two are important. Um, crossing the first threshold. This is the point where the person actually crosses into the field of adventure leaving known limits of his or her own world Mm -hmm. and venturing into the unknown, a dangerous realm where the rules and limits are not known. I've got an image that can sum that up for the film. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the inciting incident. This is the um, no, 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 not the inciting incident. The inciting incident, well, the inciting is, what incident kicks off, is what kicks off the story. The inciting incident, no, I no, think. No, no, no. You're talking about the um, there's the call to action, but there's an inc- always at the end of the third act. There's an inciting incident. Not the third act. Ah, uh, the first act. Yeah, that's the inciting incident where there's it's it's point, that, of, point of no return. You're, right. You right. are in. You are committing. No, no that, that's very, very f- close to crossing the th- first threshold. I would suggest, though, that the inciting incident is more like when Boxlighter, the programmer, meets mm. Flynn, because that's when the story kicks off. No, I still think it's this one here because that's the, when the journey actually happens. For people at home, it's the laser beam thing where he gets that's sucked it. into the. Like in Star Wars, it's when his aunt and uncle get fried. That's the inciting incident. Yeah, okay. Before that, he was questioning. He was saying, no, I'm not going. Mm. Don't be crazy. Mm. I've got to work on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens, and bang, I'm on board. I'm engaged. Mm. I do want to come with you. I do mm. want to go. And this is the point in the film where, like I think in that description that you just mentioned, it talks about leaving one world yes. going to the other. Yeah. Um, when he initially meets, um, when... Flynn meets the other programmer guy. Mm. Um, they're not really leaving anything, you know. It's not they're not True. crossing over. There's no real threshold there at all. But that's definitely that threshold. And if you look at the, um, even if you look at the dial here that you've got, it's round about the right time. Yeah, yeah, for that to happen, sort of thing. There is one other competing threshold though, and that is when they break in to the lab. Yeah. Because then they're also committed. And that could be it. There's no going back. 
and remember that giant door, door yeah, that yeah. fucking huge yeah. door. <laughs> they make the they make the actual uh, <laughs> they makes the statement. That's a big door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, there, I read a bit of trivia that there were radioactive isotopes or something found on the ground around that door, and they had to um, confiscate all the shoes that the oh, actors right, were wearing sure. and burn them, incinerate them and stuff like that. <laughs> so that door must have been in some kind of um, nuclear reactor or something. I've like forgotten that. what it is. I, I researched it before. But, it, yeah, it's a fair income. It's a crazy door. Yeah, it's like, crazy. It's at least two and a half metres <laughs> thick. Yeah. And it sort of rotates around. But, yeah, I mean, a door is very often a threshold in the narrative language. Isn't yeah, it? sometimes when, literally. When... when you cross that a physical threshold mm. into a, into a world. I suppose the difference, though, is when they say crossing the threshold here, they're talking about going into the unknown, mm. and that's important because of the journey of the hero. Because the hero is going to have to learn, yeah. and that's where the journey starts, where the hero becomes yeah. gets skilled. So, going through that that door, that big super door, that's possibly not really going into the unknown. So, mm. yeah, I think perhaps you're right. It's it's more likely to be the the laser beam because. On the other side of the laser beam, it is the unknown. Exactly. That's before, where... Before the laser beam happens, he knows everything. He's a know-it-all. Yes. In fact, he's, in he's, fact, he's, he's totally in control, right? He goes straight up to the thing and he's poking as soon away. As he goes in there, he's asking questions. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. A, he's a dumbass. He yeah. has no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you're right. That's right. All right, so the next one is um, um, an interesting one to consider as well in relation to the cross. So this is the belly of the whale. So a lot of these come out of the Bible. The refusal to the call is actually um, Moses does that in the story of Moses, mm-hmm. right? So God says to Moses, "Take my people out of Egypt, yeah. you know, to the promised land." And no. Moses, no, Moses says, "No, it's no. <laughs> a fucking God." Yeah, he, yeah, says, yeah. God he says, "No, not can't you ask my brother Aaron? Get him to do it." <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> That's what he actually says to God. Anyway, belly of the whale is, of course, um, like um, Jonah and the whale, right? Um, belly of whale. The belly of the whale represents the final separation from the hero's known world and self. By entering this stage, the person shows their willingness to undergo a metamorphosis. In Star Wars, the belly of the whale is often interpreted to be the trash compactor. Ah, oh, yeah. And the crossing of the threshold is when they are they arrive on the Death Star. There's no going back then. Yeah. And then when you're in the con- trash compactor, mm. well, now's the time you have to step up. You've got no options. Yeah. You're forced into it. Yeah. You're now going to have to be the hero or you're dead. That's interesting. I've never heard that like, mm. that far in to have those those elements of the narrative. That's sometimes how it's interpreted. You could interpret it otherwise. I still you think know, it's the Moss Eisley bar could be interpreted as crossing the threshold. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, there could yeah. be lots of other things. Um, so for our purposes, remember after he arrives, he does, in fact, go to jail. Ah, uh, yeah. Inside um, yeah. the computer where – so not only is he in the unknown world – He's now had his freedom taken yeah. in the unknown world. Yeah. And that that happens just before he has to go and fight in the arena. Mm. And if you think about it, when he goes and fight, that's when he has to step up and he has to use, he has to try and summon all of his best skills yeah. and, and knowledge to, to survive and thrive. So I think perhaps the belly of the whale is that little segment where he's, um, stuck, and he starts to learn just a little bit about the world that he's in, but yeah. he's stuck in jail. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Now, the next one is going to be pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Road of Trials. Mm -hmm. So, the Road of Trials is a series of tests, tasks, or, or... or ordeals that the person must undergo to begin the transformation. Um, often the person uh, fails once or twice before these tests are complete. Yep. And you can just think of many, many, many stories where that happens. And it says here often in threes. Yep. Three is a magic number for most of these sort of things. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah. Was there three questions to, for the knights to get across the bridge? Oh, yeah, there's always three. There's <laughs> always there three. One for, no, there's three. I think there was three. Yeah. Yeah, answer three questions to get Yeah. And the reason why there's three, by the way, is that one thing is just one thing. Yeah, yeah. Two things could be just luck. Yeah. Yep. Heads, heads, tails, tails. But three, heads, heads, heads. Yeah. Well, that's a pattern you got there. That's right. Yep. <laughs> right? Um, so, trials... Okay, so that's fairly obvious. He's on the um, he's on the game grid, and he has to do the the um, uh, what's the first one called? Where they're bouncing the ball. The I don't know what that's, that's yeah, called. Yeah, I can't way. remember what that was. <clears throat> and but then, he failed um, first. With he didn't die, like, but he was the first one to lose. A, true, a thing. True, and then he sort of worked it out and. But that's kind of important for the hero, and it's important for the story that the hero has to learn by trial, mm-hmm. you know. And we also have to learn about, as the viewers of the story, we have to learn about the consequences of what happens in this world when you screw up, mm. right? Um, and then he goes and does the light cycles, right? So those two. What happens next? All right, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's tied to the one that comes after a little bit. Meeting with the goddess. Um, this is the point in the story where the person experiences a love that has the power and significance of all uh, of the all-powerful, all-encompassing, consumpi- cons- thanks, um, unconditional love that is a fortunate uh, that a fortunate infant infant geez, may experience uh, with his or her mother. So there's actually going to be a mother and a father figure in mm-hmm. both of in in this. Um, so, well, we saw from the taglines that there's a super powerful love interest. Yeah, of course. According to the taglines, yeah. there's, I don't know if there's really there's, a there's super not. powerful, uh, whoops, super there's powerful not. love interest in this thing. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It could be something else. Mm. Yeah. But I don't know if that one. I don't think it ticks the box. I don't think that applies too no. much. No. So, but, so far we've got two. We've got refusal of the call. That, that are not in. We're, that, we're, that are not in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And meeting with the goddess is not really. It's not really there because so in the real world he was. Um, she was taken, and there was no other female figure. And in mm. the computer world, um, there was really no opportunity to explore anything. You know, and she wasn't a goddess. She was just a chick that worked over there. Yeah, know, the, yeah. It just, she didn't do anything special or... You know what I mean? Do they kiss in the movie? I think they do. I think they do, and, but I don't think it qualifies as... weird, like it's... I, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it's... Perhaps if they meant to flesh it out, it might have qualified, but I don't think it qualifies too much. <clears throat> no. All right, so we're halfway there um, now, and the, the next one is important. It's kind of related a little bit to that previous one. So this is Temptation. Mm-hmm. This step is about those material temptations that may lead to the to the hero, may lead the hero to abandon or stray from his or her quest. Yeah. Now this is a 
really important one. And that's when Arnold Schwarzenegger goes down to the drug lords in Colombia. And they offer him a bribe. They bribe him. And turn him into a king. Right, exactly. Mm. And that's when he says to himself, you know what? I could be a freaking king. And the audience are now, they don't know what to think because they've invested in this guy. Yeah. And he has led them on a merry journey. Yeah. To slay the beast. Yeah. And then the beast has convinced him to go and uh, open Switch a nightclub. Yeah. And for us <clears throat> as normal people who are, um, who like heroes, this is the worst fucking disaster ever. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Imagine a, a regular hero, not a fantastic hero, a fireman, mm. right? Imagine if he turned, yeah. you know, and he's like, instead of putting out fires, instead of just sliding yeah. in and saving the day and putting out fires, now he goes into your house and he starts lighting <laughs> fires. Lighting fires yeah. You know, this is the this is treachery. This yeah. is the worst. This is the worst of the worst. That's the plot of Black Backdraft, I think. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is, I mean, what's another one? Indiana Jones yeah. in the Temple of Doom. Yeah. What happens to Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? He yeah. becomes one of the thuggy cult. Yep. Right? And that's a fucking disaster. That, that's the worst thing in the world. You yeah. know, it's like we're going backwards here. <laughs> you know? So that's a really compelling part of the story. So does Flynn, because we're assuming he's the hero, is he? I don't know if this, this one is really applicable either, where he's tempted to... Yeah, I don't think so. There's no conversation. <clears throat> um, I've got a feeling in the... Sark would try instead of to kill him. Sark would say, "Try to convince him." Yeah, yeah. I can. You can be my offsider. Come, Come over to the dark side. I need you. Over yeah, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can work for me. Yeah. And I don't think that happens. No, it in doesn't. Story. It doesn't happen. And I think some of this stuff, um, whilst might have been on the radar, you run out of screen time because you're establishing tech and and. You know, computer wizardry and all these other things, and you need to have that shot linger for an extra sixty frames. And that <laughs> shot, I've got to add entire shots that don't really do anything, mm. but they showcase this wonder because that's really what we're selling here. Mm. We're, we're selling the sizzle, and at mm. the time, the sizzle was the tech. Mm. So something had to give, mm. and what it was was, and that's why you, you know, this. It's not just the monomyth, but that's why I think people struggled with the narrative. Is that Imagine if the temptation was in there. Mm. Imagine there was another five minutes in the story where Sark offered Flynn a million dollars, a million, you know, bit dollars or whatever, and Flynn's like, yeah, screw you guys. Yeah. No, fuck you guys. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then he he betrays them and they end up in jail and they end up in the game grid. Yeah, yeah. And then... For some reason, like there's a, there's an atonement thing that comes next when he's like, and then he has a wake up moment. He's like, "What the fuck did I just do? That was fucking." Yeah. And that means he's developed as a character. He's learned something about himself. Yeah. How he's weak for bit dollars. It's the internal journey. Yeah, and then he says, "I'll correct myself and correct my character, and I don't care about bit gems or whatever it is. I actually care about my friends, and I'm going to save them." So yeah, a bit more depth could have been added by by that type of thing. So we're kind of into that that sort of zone now. Mm-hmm. Um, atonement with the father. Um, in this step, the person must confront and it's be. Always, it's always hard to read off oh, here, man. I try that. Can you see it? Here? No, it's smaller on my screen than it is over there. <laughs> Conf- that's why I was staggering before. Um, confront. Can you read it from your side? Yeah, yeah. In this step, the person must confront and be initiated by whatever holds the ultimate power in his or her life. In many myths and stories, this is the father or a father figure who has life and death power. This is the center point of the journey. 
So in Star Wars, that's Darth Vader, yeah, yeah. right? It's exactly, you yeah. know, I am your father, Luke. And he's like, no, that's impossible. Luke has created a character to, to absolutely fit that paragraph. Oh, that's exactly what it, yes. In fact, that particular paragraph may have birthed the entire Star Wars <laughs> story. Yeah. yeah. Which you start at that point. Yeah. And then you work out backwards yeah. and work out, okay, well, now I just work with the sun mm. and go back backwards from that point. I've got a really cool villain, mm. right, who's this all-powerful guy and the, the sun, the journey of the sun is to the father. Mm. So I don't know if it doesn't, it doesn't have to be literally a father, but mm. as we were discussing in the previous one, that's where the, where the hero works shit out about themselves. Yeah. You know, I'm a fucking asshole, you know, and I really shouldn't be an asshole. I really should help my yeah. friends more. And it's definitely not in this film. Yeah, yeah. There's no element in this film that, that tries to educate him yeah. about any moral choices. Yeah. Um, he doesn't grow mm. in that sense. Mm. There's no questioning. Mm. Um, there's nobody that offers any, that has any power that mm. offers him anything. Mm. Is mm. there? So no. that one's out. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That one's out. And so I think actually those two is probably where a lot of the depth will come. And we've skipped over those two points. Absolutely, that's the, the myth. That's the myth missing depth. Absolutely, yeah. That's the, the conflict. That's the that strengthens the internal conflict. Because then it just becomes, I'm the hero. It's a yeah. bit like, you know, the, the Jedi's in Phantom Menace when yeah. they're fighting those stupid robots. They're just yeah. like, swish, swish, clonk, clonk, swish, swish. It's a James Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll never be defeated. It's not likely that I'm going to be defeated, yeah. you know. And it's just a, a walk in the park, essentially. Like James Bond, 20, <clears throat> 23 movies or something like that. Mm -hmm. Not one of them does he have a mentor. Not one of them does he have any sort of, like... The, the this the monomyth does not fit mm. James Bond in mm. any way, shape, or form. No, no, I think there might be some things. Uh, the supernatural aid. He goes and Q. visits Q. Yeah, yeah, he you're right. Gets a there magic is trick. there is one or two in there. Yeah. yeah, you're right. There are some things about this monomyth that are archetypal to what a story is. Yeah, right. Um, and it's just a, a matter of degree. Mm. Um, all right, next one. Um, apostasis. Apostasis. When someone dies. A physical death, or dies to the self to to or, live in or spirit. Dies to the self to live in spirit. He or she moves beyond the pairs of opposites to a state of divine knowledge, love, compassion, and bliss. So, really, uh, that's a lot, that's a lot of high flute and twenty five dollar words. A lot words. of flutes there. <laughs> Plenty of flute. <laughs> but really, it means the hero dies. Mm -hmm. So we've got the first one is temptation when the hero is going to betray us, mm -hmm. either the audience or the hero's friends or the hero's journey. The hero will just say, "Fuck it, I'm not, I'm not saving the world. I'm going to fucking watch it burn." Mm -hmm. Okay. Then the other one is that then the hero in this in this sort of the hero then works out. No, 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 no. I do have to save the fucking world. Yeah. And then disaster strikes. Mm. The hero dies. Yeah. And this is the ultimate thing. I mean, you can't get any worse than the hero dying. It's not like the hero lost his car keys. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. MacGyver would be in a little bit of trouble if he lost his car <laughs> keys. But if he's dead, yeah. you know, but if he's dead and he still saves the day, mm. well then fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. We got serious hero on our hands here. And it and it's the way it's worded there too is <clears throat> when someone dies. Mm. Mm. 
and that's very common in in narrative mm. is especially as you move towards the end of the second act mm. um, and and usually the crescendo of the second act leading you into that third act which is you know the time has run out mm. you know um, you can't question you, you you go you go in or you go home mm-hmm. sort of thing mm-hmm. um, they usually kill someone off. Sidekick sometimes they can usually kill them off. Get killed at yeah. that stage. Yeah. Um, um, think again about Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Yep. He dies in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he comes back to life at yep. the end. Yeah. You know. Um, and in Star Wars, you've got um, one in every movie of the original trilogy, except he doesn't die. He gets frozen. Yes, true. So Ben yeah. dies in the first one. Yeah. Han gets frozen in the second one. Yeah. And Yoda dies in the third one. Yeah, yeah. And and it's always in the same part of the movie. Mm. It's the end of the third act. Yeah. It sends you into the uh, end of the second act. And that's kind of where we're getting to on the clock, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it sort of it it reaffirms. It's normally a reaff- reaffirmation of the of the quest. That the hero's unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. When they have their shit together. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They're unstoppable. Cool. Um, okay, so now we're starting to come up the other side. So we're heading towards the um, the conclusion. So the next one, ultimate boon. Um, the ultimate boon is the achievement of the goal. So this is kind of a bit odd because we're not finished with the story yet, but it's kind of telling us that we're finished with the story, right? Um, in the quest, and um, is what the person uh, went on the journey in the be- you know journey to get in the beginning. All the previous steps serve to prepare and purify the person for this step. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's clearly an ultimate boon. I mean, most stories have to have have that. That's where the, the hero... I um, read that as... Um, say, for instance, you've got a character. In order to, to, to defeat the nemesis, they must secure the state of complete zen. Yeah, yeah. Right? The secret plan. The secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something. Yeah. You've got to secure. And then they can challenge the, the, the ultimate challenge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I read that as the ultimate boon is the securing of the knowledge. The, yes. Um, the locating of the We thing. can see the end from yeah, here. Yeah, the yeah. The getting there. Sort of, yeah. Okay, we're here. Yeah. Now it's all business. Yes. Sort of thing. And that's why there's a few more steps there is that really – up until now, it's been all about getting there. So I think in Tron, the ultimate boon is when they um, meet that bearded weird guy who yeah. you were complaining about who's forgotten his damn name. <laughs> he's, um, yeah, I don't know his name in the thing. Um, he's got a weird name in the thing. But he was... Oh, um, hang on. Did we say whether Tron dies, uh, whether Flynn dies in the, um, with the apostasis? We missed that. Does Flynn die? No. Oh... Uh, Sark has him up against not the wall. Not if this is linear. I mean, if this is linear, then who's this all happening to? Well, this is Flynn we're talking about. Well, things like rescue from without, crossing the return threshold, master of two worlds, freedom to live. Um, if you're dead, these things can't apply to you. No, no, but the rule is with the apostasis is that it doesn't matter if the hero's dead, he still continues on the journey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Indiana Jones, he was dead because he didn't die, did he? No, he came to life. And right, he got he, off the helicopter. Right, at the he end. turned into a fucking zombie. Yeah, right. But he still managed to yeah. pull through and won the company. <laughs> yeah, out of yeah, it. yeah. So did Tron? Uh, did Flynn die? Yeah. Let me just swap over if I can. Do I have? Because I bought a picture. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Now, I can't quite remember the scene, but doesn't Sark put him up on this, like, Jesus fucking Christ on the on the cross? And that's the, the torture thing where Sark, like, has him on the ropes and he, like, de people. I don't know whether that's Finn. No, that's Finn. Are you sure? Yes, that's Finn. I don't know whether that's Finn. I think what, do you think it's Tron? No, I think it's a, a character earlier on in the piece. Uh, yeah, I can't I think remember. It, yeah, I can't I, remember. From memory, I think that happens really early in the piece, and and he's that's that's one of his minions getting uh, uh, yeah. punished for something. Yeah, you might. Re- but but what I remember, uh, it looks like Finn to me. What I kind of remember is that he kind of resists the the death there because he's, he's got, got the same pattern as Finn. Like Pro- I'm looking at another image here. He's got exactly the same pattern because they've all got different patterns on them, mm. and he's got Finn's pattern. So I don't know. I can't remember this scene. I yeah. do remember when all the old wizard-looking guys go into the uh, uplink thing mm. and they all uh, linked in right mm. at the end when Finn jumps in. Yeah. One of the worst visual effects shots in, <laughs> yeah. in the whole film. Tron is, jumps in, isn't uh, it? No, it's Finn that jumps in the middle. Oh, yeah, okay. Tron lives, doesn't he? Isn't it Finn that jumps in off the off the start of the battle cruiser thingy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that sends him back to the normal world, I'm pretty sure. That's what... That's what saves the day is the fact that he gave his life. It was Tron and the chick that lived. Because they speak, yeah. speak of his sacrifice. Remember also that he has that other guy that he hangs around with who dies. Ram. Ram. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if... Popcorn. He's, he's popcorn yeah. office worker number two or something. That yeah, guy. he was also a bit of a sort of a... In the credits, it's called popcorn guy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like this nondescript. If you look at the IMDb, um, his name is... Uh, where is it? Bernard... Uh, his name is Dan Shaw, S-H-O-R. Okay. Um, and in the computer world, his name's Ram, but outside, he's popcorn co-worker. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Oh, he must be. Maybe he's in Flynn's. Um, yeah, it could be arcade. Mm, I think he's in. You know when he gets locked out at the start. What's his name? What's his uh, Alan? Is Bruce Box Lightner's character okay, yeah, yeah, Alan? Yeah. Alan gets locked out and then gets called upstairs. Yeah, yeah. I think that happens in an office. Okay, like an office setting. Oh, okay. That's where I think Popcorn Worker is. He's right, somewhere in right. that office okay, setting. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Very Ram, um, Ram dies. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't make it. All right. So, I don't know if we've got a good <laughs> – I think we definitely don't have a good candidate for apostasis in there. No. Um, so, look, I think actually there's a pattern emerging here is that the, the deep trials that the hero goes through in these monomyths is not really being applied to to Finn. He's, he's getting getting off too easy. Yeah. He, he was on the game grid and then he had everything sorted after that. Mm. Um, okay, so then the next one is a bit like Temptation, um, our Ultimate Boon, so we kind of had a bit of an agreement on that. Um, the next one is a bit like Temptation, and this is just before the, the story ends. So this is the refusal to return. Having found bliss and enlightenment in the other world, the hero may not want to return to the real world to the ordinary to become back to become an ordinary person again. Mm-hmm. What happens in the second Tron movie? Yeah, Flynn. Yeah, is he puts himself back in? Yeah, mm. Flynn is the one who's the, the the one in control back in the um, yeah yeah. So there is a little bit of a bit of that that they kind of pick up in, uh, on the second movie, but mm. I don't think it's in the original one. No, not at all. 
All right. So we've gone to that that squat guy with the the funny cone shaped thing with the the beard, and now I think the magic flight comes in, mm. um, and that is that. Again, we'll go back to Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. What happens? Where's the, the, the magical flight? Sometimes the hero must escape with the boon, okay, with the the gem, the magic, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, this can be just as adventurous and dangerous uh, returning from the journey as going into it. Mm-hmm. So remember Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom? Yeah. He's on the roller coaster at the yeah. end. So we don't end with a little whimper and it's like dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. It's like it just ramps up again. That's it. And we're fucking off. Yeah. You know? And he's got, you know, people chasing him and stuff. So I think there might be a little bit of that with that light sail yeah. ship. They get you know? to the cra- crazy the the old guy in the in the Dalek. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and that that's the boon as far as the mm-hmm. they they were heading there to to get what they needed in order to go and do what they have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Sark's chasing him in the character in the carrier. I think there's some recognizers that are bop, 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 yeah, bop, yeah. Bop, going along the the light beam right. behind them. So and then they hit a block and he changes. That's right. He's yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, rescue from without. Um, oftentimes the hero needs a powerful powerful guides to bring them back to the everyday world, especially if the person has been wounded or weakened by the experience. Towards the end, does does um, do they get any help from their real selves back in the in the real world? Well, they do during the story. He 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 downloads. He uploads what Tron needs mm-hmm. on his disc. Mm-hmm. In order to chuck the disc yeah. into the stream and, yeah. and uh, to defeat the bad guy, yeah. Um, so that's the outside helping the inside. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of in there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right then. So we're now we're almost done. So crossing the return threshold, um, regaining the um, retaining the wisdom gained on the quest because he's he's been through. Yeah. Well, he should have been through all these trials. He's gone through a hundred fights and, and temptations and fucking he died and and all that. So he's still got all of that knowledge. Um. So he's going to bring that back and possibly share that wisdom with the the rest of the world. So um, does he return with with all of that knowledge that he has? Now, we've already said that he doesn't have much of a character arc, Mm. but that's what happens, right? You know, he he exits back out. and he can remember what happened in the real in that in the computer world when he comes out. Yep. Right? Yeah, he retains it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that one's there. Next one, and this is another one that's really important, is Master of the Two Two Worlds. Achieving a balance between the material world and the spiritual world inner and inner. So that means that now and this is where the journey is yeah. complete, is yeah. that if Finn goes back into the game world, mm. he should be master of that. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether he's going to be tempted or he's on the game grid or whether anything comes up against, it should now be easy for him because he's he's got that sorted. He's, he's worked that all out. Mm. Same with Indiana Jones and Luke Skywalker. And if they have to now repeat yep. it, but they keep their knowledge, it's yep. now easy. All right, master it two worlds. And here's the last one, freedom to live. Mastery leads to freedom to live um, from the fear of death. This is actually the um, – this is very closely related to a lot of very famous old epic of Gilgamesh. Um 
Um, and even things in the Bible, um, stories about um, Jesus in the Bible. These are these, you know, he comes to life at the end and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, mastery leads to freedom from the fear of death, which, because he's already been dead, he's yep. like, he's got that shit on lockdown, right? Yep. Which in turn is the freedom to live. Um, this is sometimes referred to as living in the moment, neither anticipating the future nor regretting the past. Yep. Um, another way to also express this, and this is one thing that I think is missing from this description, is that the hero, and this is my personal take on this last one, is the hero can't keep what the hero has gained on their journey. Mm. These are the best heroes. <clears throat> because imagine you have to go and rescue the gold. Yep. You have to go and save the gold for the archaeology museum. Yep. That's what, and he, but at the end of it, Indiana Jones pockets the gold mm. and says, I've taken it from the bad guys. The bad guys don't have it anymore, yep. but I'm going to keep it. Mm. You know, And even <laughs> if that's knowledge, you know, you know, you don't want the, your hero because remember, you're not the hero. Yeah, you're just an ordinary person, and what you want from heroes is you want them to go off and save the day, but you want them to bring back stuff for you mm. to have. You know, um, and so again, let's think about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He saves all the kids, yeah, and all of the kids come back, and he leaves, mm. and he doesn't have any kids, right? So he he goes through all that shit, mm. and in the end. He walks away with nothing. Yeah. And that's what we want from our heroes, you know. That's what really impresses us when they're doing it for us. Mm. Definitely not the case in Tron. But inside the world, he he, he clears the, the MCP out of the all of the, the red turns blue and, yep. and all of that. But no, no, no. He does bring that back because then the M MCP is defeated <coughs> and it will stop now stealing programs from all around the world. And our last final shots are of that city. You know, so we have the internal computer city where it's turning from red to blue but then we also see outside the city and cars moving mm. down and roads and I think that symbolises that now Finn has brought that safety out to us um, and he isn't personally profiting from it or certainly everybody else profits from it he, he wins the company like, does he? yeah yeah he he somehow and I forget exactly how he does it but oh, because Dillinger there's gets a teletype Dillinger gets incriminated or something yeah, or other yeah. at the M end. MCP or get types out the. So does he get get his games back? Gets yeah. his games back? No, no. Well, he wrote the guy that owns the company that runs the company is only in that position because he stole. That's right. The yeah. Stuff and the stuff he stole is the stuff that formed the the. MCP. Okay, okay, okay. So, so you might be right. He wrote MCP. Yes, you might right? be right. But the other guy stole it, right, in his own name. Yeah. The teletype that, that happens at the end there is an admission of what the truth is. Yes. And so we see uh, Finn arrive on the in the helicopter on the top um, as, as the boss. I can't remember exactly, but I'll have yeah. to watch that again. I think he's the boss. You might be he, right. He wins the company. So, with that said in in my in my mind, that's that's not following the motto myth. No, and that's not that's not a good ending. No, no, not at all. <laughs> not a good ending. Yeah, and it sets up um, in the second film. <clears throat> he is this all powerful 
on on both sides. Like mm. he's the all powerful good guy, but he's also exactly the same guy. <laughs> yeah, he's the all powerful yeah. bad guy in yeah. the in the in the same thing as well. Yeah. Um, and so there's some really critical things missing from mm-hmm. the monomyth in in Tron, mm. isn't it? Yeah. And it's those deep things yeah. that that really challenge the hero, not just physically, <clears throat> um, but um, challenge their growth, their perception of themselves, their and has you wondering what is the journey? Where, That's right. Where's the journey there? That's right. Um, and not only that, and the other thing is that Finn is trying to do something for himself, mm. and he achieves that at the end. Yeah. You know, and that kind of leaves us as the audience. Well, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, exactly. What and, do I fucking care? And what? he's not even doing anything for the other people in the like the, gir- <laughs> the, the 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 guy and the chick that came and got him from the arcade. Think about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He, he only wants to go in there so he can um, find evidence of his software being. That's stolen. right. That's the only reason he went in there. So yeah, you're right. There's nothing heroic about the journey, if there is a journey. Yeah. Yeah, I think it ticks a lot of the boxes, but I have to say that some of it could be complete accident rather than design. The fact that it hits some of the nodes yes. on the... I don't think it is. I think it is in the sense that they might have done it unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. But I think there is a deep sort of psychological understanding of what a story is and what happens in a story, and that is so... Um, common knowledge that they might not have thought about it they might have just said oh let's write a, write a story and they just they just inevitably yep. hit some of those nodes just because it's such a common understanding of what a story is yeah yeah and that's the very nature of of what joseph campbell studied that these are the stories that are ingrained in us yeah um it's a method of telling stories that are even the ones that are fictitious and larger than life and everything um they're ingrained into our psyche. So mm. when a scriptwriter sits down to write a script, it's it wouldn't be uncommon for them to hit eighty percent of the things that exist in the monomyth. Yeah, without even trying. Yeah, you yeah. know they just know that. Well, I can't really have that character unless there's this character. Mm-hmm. I really need something over here to do this. And but before you, and when you stand back, you realise. Well, do you know what you just did? You, mm. you know, you, you plugged it into this yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because this thing is plugged into us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes it really fascinating. It's a great way to look at film, and we should we should do this more often. Is sort mm. of hold up, hold up film, um, especially film that is controversy uh, controversial in nature relative to how it was perceived. Yeah, like Tron. Yeah, you know, you, there are literally two camps that are really divided. Mm. When it, some people look at it and go, "That's a ridiculous movie. I don't get any of it. It's, it makes no sense to me. It's stupid." And it's it, it's not a good film. Mm. And then the other camp was it's cult, you know. Mm. It's, it's got everything. It's this and that. Mm. Um, it's a great way to hold it up to a standard. And, and yeah, 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 a good way. Mm. That's not arbitrary, you know, because you're comparing it really to a classic, a literally a classic, a classic model archetype of what a story is. Yeah, and yeah. it's less subjective. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's less likely that you get someone to. Yeah, I just yeah. I like I thought, I thought I like, it was shit. Yeah, I personally really? prefer blue lasers in yeah. a story to green. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that a lot. So yeah. we'll definitely revisit um, revisit the the wheel of Jason Campbell's uh, monomyth. You'll yeah. put that in the. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do a mind demo. The mind demo. 
yeah, uh, I might. Uh, I want to do a little bit more of a. I was, I was sort of considering this as our sort of journey to begin this sort of um, discussion, and um, yeah, I might write up a bit about it in detail. How nice. conclusions and stuff. We'll, we'll come back and talk about this uh, in the future. Yeah, as a technical thing, mm. and because um, I, I want to marry up. You've talked about some supercomputing before. You've talked about some of those pioneer early days of Magi and mm-hmm. Triple I and. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the guys that were, or those were the companies and the boffins. Mm. Um, and always think of that scenario where you've got a guy in the corner cubicle just jumps up and said, I've worked out how to do shadows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> these are the guys that really try, uh, blaze the trail yeah. early on. And I'd like to come back to this film again now that we've had a look, good, thorough look at narrative mm. um, and have a look at the technical achievement and have a look how did they create this thing you know mm. let's break it down let's mm. work out what what exactly they did here mm. Mm. Um, what were the challenges mm. I thought this was one of the ugliest um, screen designs I've ever seen in my life mm. ever mm. it's crazy mm. it's a it's a it looks like a Dalek that that um, <laughs> got, got squashed that yeah and <laughs> got squashed during the um, gay and lesbian Mardi Gras in Sydney <laughs> one year or something it's just crazy this guy here had a show of his own he was um, remember the TV series he was a wizard yes yeah yes. was it called Merlin or something like yes that? yeah Merlin or something I remember the music to it more than I remember the show now it wasn't in the past was it it was no, in no, modern it was in day modern day suburbia. yeah yeah America and, somewhere yeah. and I yeah. think it was like let's take Merlin and stick him in the suburbs and he was Merlin it was around the same time we had Alf and all that yeah, other crazy yeah. 80s TV. All right, here's another one for you to dig out of your memory banks that's related to what we're talking to, talking about. Do you remember, and my description of this is going to be hyper vague, the Tron-esque um, show in the 80s, late 80s that was... It's, it's, of, it's of the ilk of this Merlin thing. There was a guy and he had like a Lamborghini and it had all the Tron lines on it. And he was some Tron computer guy and he even had the little bit character. And he used to drive around in his Lamborghini um, and he used to take the 90 degree turns. Starting to ring a bell. And he used to have an offsider, which was the expository dialogue sidekick. Who would, and he would get into the Lamborghini. This is when they're running gags. And the, because the Lamborghini could take 90 degree right hand turns, the, his little offsider would get squashed up against yeah, the side that? of the Lamborghini every time it had happened. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. There's I cannot remember the name of it. something about it. But it's a thing. Okay. It's a definite thing. <laughs> and it's obviously inspired by Tron, spin-off TV show. Are you inspired enough to do a Google search or something? I don't. I wouldn't even know what to search yeah. for. All right, I'll, gonna, I'll I'll find it. We'll I'll find, find it, it eventually. We'll find it. <laughs> Here, we'll just have a quick look at some. Um, yeah, just a, let's end with it. Just a, end a, with a, a couple pictures. of images. Emerges. So the good old light cycles. Oh, what am I doing? I just tried to print them all. I have no printer open. Here we go. 3D printer, perhaps. So, yes, we have the uh, light cycles, which even by today's standards, a pretty cool design, but very simplistic. Like, if I gave this to one of my students to model, they'd be in and out in 10 minutes. Yeah, probably. Tops, and 10 minutes is pushing. Mm. Um, it's very, very simple in, in, in its design. All Did made you out know of that, um, as, as we discussed on the previous show. What was it? All made out of bullions. It's yeah, bullion ab- modelling. Absolutely. And mm. at the time... Computers could create a still frame that looked like that, mm-hmm. but it couldn't animate them. No. So they had to put hand coordinates in yeah. for the light cycles, for yeah. anything. Anything computer-generated, yeah. 
it had to be hand the coordinates had to be put in by hand so for a four second um i think with the light cycle thing there was for a four second piece was 600 coordinates yeah got, got put in and they were saying that Every frame. that um they couldn't tween it either no. right all the numbers were had to be calculated on another computer yeah and then he had to write down all the coordinates for all of the tweening in between to, to produce no motion blur. to produce moving curves yeah and yeah. The, like the whole thing is um and it suits it, lucky they mm. came up with an idea that had 90 degree corners and this sort of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. we, we were used to seeing something um, that was out of this world. Yeah. Because it missed all of the things that we are our bread and butter nowadays. It's hard. Yeah. Um, big, big, Sark's big carrier. Sark carrier. I, I love this design. It's I think it's design, iconic. It? Yeah. Um, and it is an aircraft carrier that they just tipped over on its side. Yep. Because that's what inspired them to, they, they needed to get something quirky. Yep. It almost um, looks like a uh, graphics card, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's. Um, it's very iconic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was just such a cool design. Just so asymmetrical, mm. and but still cool. Yep. You know, you can have unbalanced asymmetrical, and you can also have balanced asymmetrical, and this is yeah. definitely a balanced asymmetrical thing. It's as a, as a set... Um uh, or as a prop or, or a mechanism within the film, it had some of the best shading. Like, look at it. Look at the way it's, it's darker down here than mm. up here. It's you're not uniform across the. Mm-hmm. Um, there's look at this ambient occlusion under here. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how that was. There's some pretty impressive stuff, and yeah. it stands out in yeah. the film. In the film, it sort of jumps out when you see it. That it, uh, I don't know what they did, but whatever they did to it, it it was superior to some of the other stuff. They were even when like, you look at the light cycles, like they they don't even look like they're in from the same movie. Yeah, do they? They're writing shaders and stuff, essentially very primitive shaders and stuff on the fly. I honestly think by the end of the film, this is what they were doing, and at the start of the film, they were doing this. Yeah, yeah, no, they had, they invented stuff while they were, they were literally doing... inventing the tech. And some of the artists who were working on it, the the art directors, would say, you know, can't we have it so that the you know the saturation falls off with distance, the vibrant colors fall off with distance, like it does in the real world, and people are like. The tech guys would be like, oh, is that a thing? And they says, yeah, that's a yeah. thing. Well, that's just math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, go and math that up and <laughs> fucking cram it into the thing there. <laughs> There's, um, I, I did read one piece of trivia. During this film, I love all the old vector work too. Like yeah. There's heaps of vector stuff going on in this film as well. Um, in, the, in this film, there was a guy that created a noise algorithm. Oh. It's not fractal noise. If you if you double this guy's noise noise algorithm, if you double it up and offset it, you get fractal noise. Oh, right, okay. It's pure pure noise. Oh, Perlin noise. Perlin, yeah, yeah, Perlin. He yeah. won a, a posthumous Academy Award, uh, cool. a SciTech Award, uh-huh. for inventing Perlin noise <laughs> in this film. John Lasseter says there would be no Toy Story if there wasn't a Tron. Absolutely. I totally agree. There would be none of it. We would not have a digital visual effect. Those These guys are like the, the cavemen and they're yeah. like, ooh, I can make a sharper rock and yeah. then I'll stick it on the end of a stick, that's you it. know, yeah. And all of his, his family's all fat and, and <laughs> yeah, that's all right. skinny. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They were the trailblazers. This is a, a cell negative from the from the film. Yeah. You can see all the wide areas that would have copped the glow. A lot of the movies, a lot of people might not know, is it's a stop motion. Yeah. Um, frame by frame. Frame by frame um, photograph. Graphed 2D 
animation, really. Yeah, and when you watch it now in this day and age, you yeah. can see it just jittering mm. all over mm. the place. Um, it's closer to Gro- Wallace and Gromit That's right. than it is to the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a sort of before and after. When they shot everything, it was in this white and black um, sort of monochromatic um, and then they would go in and start painting stuff out in mm. um, on the negative. Mm. And this was pretty groundbreaking for, for 1982. It might be cool to do an actual bit of an analysis of this these these type of shots, like you were saying, in a little bit of detail. Because, yep. firstly, is this actually a shot, a frame from the film? Now, that's yeah. a, that might sound like a weird question because yeah, I, 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 I think it is. Yeah. If you have a look at it about how it's sort of comped onto the background mm. the Flynn character is really not in the same light space as the background yep um and what's going on with the de-resed bit up in his fingers up there it yeah. looks like the the little centipede thing lasso stuff from photoshop um no I remember it from the uh, the thing that I remember the most is that that, that beam splits and does like it, it starts out on his fingers as one beam, and then it splits into a couple of beams and does his head and whatever. And then see his feet; mm-hmm. they're out here like this. We don't get to we get it to see it sort of come down to around about his waist, mm-hmm. and then the camera um, sort of cuts back, looks back the other way. Yeah, and we're seeing the beam. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, him. I remember. I remember. And so we see this beam coming like this, you know, uh-huh. in a straight line, and then it splits and does his feet. <laughs> you can see him sort of it goes out the legs and does the feet like this, um, which I thought was really smart. You know, that's the sort of thing that that a um, a creative person comes up with mm. an idea like that. Let's split the beam and go out the legs. Otherwise, you have to go out the leg and then where you go? Yeah, yeah. It's a jump over here. <laughs> yeah. And someone says, "No, no, we split it." Yeah. I thought it was a really cool sequence. For, for one of our next things, we should get some of these sequences and just have them so that we can kind of look at them in detail. We can play them up here in slow motion. Yeah, break it down. And really just get into a bit of few of the details. frame by frame. Yeah. And, and see what we can see. Yeah. 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 So that's, uh, that's pretty much what they look like. Um, yeah. See, that's the skull cap. No, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. She's You're right. wearing the helmet. She gets a new hat halfway through. She doesn't get the... the and <laughs> a bit of trivia. Um, old Mr. Bridges uh, was filling his codpiece a little too much, so they had to give him a little flap. Okay. Next time you watch the film, you'll see that this part here is like a little sporran, uh, like okay. a little Scottish sporran <laughs> that they had to put in front of him for decency. It's a uh, Disney movie. For the senses. Yeah. <laughs> Package is too big. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't have too many. That's All it. right. Cool. So, right. very good. Let's wrap that up. Um, that's our review of Tron, the good one. This is the the good one, <laughs> the original and the best. I couldn't make any sense of that other fucking thing. It was bizarre. I was trying to tap into the old shit and the new shit, and it was, I don't know. I just couldn't. I couldn't read it. I couldn't get on board with the the young kid. Um, you know, he's a multi millionaire living in a. I kind of switched off halfway through. Let's talk about that in another, uh, in another another iteration. Yeah, yeah. So far, we now have done, we've now done a technical sort of a, yeah. a a review of it, of the narrative, of the ma- no no the making of this was our previous one. With oh yes, the, yes, that's right. Yep, yep. with all of the the, the hardware's yep. the hardware and stuff. And now we've done a narrative one. 
Um, so yeah, maybe the next one should be a VFX shot breakdown. Yeah, uh, and a detailed look. Yeah, close up at a few highlights here. Yeah, and there. we'll try and dig out some um, archival stuff and and have a look as well. I know that there's a little bit around. There's, Disney don't like to throw a lot of that stuff away. Mm. Um, yeah, and yeah. some of the influence and impact that it that it's had on other artists and, mm. and other creatives in the world too. Because mm. I know that it has a soft spot in a lot of people's heart mm. um, in our industry. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you'd be struggling to find someone in our industry that doesn't have a connection to Tron in some way, mm. um, like Star Wars. Yeah, stuff like that. Most people are around about our age, and we're probably. Yep. wide-eyed kids at about that time so yeah and when I watched this the other day it it ages a little bit mm. it doesn't age poorly I guess it doesn't age brilliantly mm. I'm not like The Last Starfighter I can watch The Last Starfighter tomorrow mm-hmm. I there's nothing about it that, mm. that is weird mm-hmm. right it would easily you know be you shoot it with today's stock mm. you'll get away with it mm. no problems not the same here, but not not so bad that you can't watch it. Like, there's Disney have another movie called The Black Hole. Yeah, We've yeah. We've spoken about it before. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have seen that in a does long time. does not it's age no. well. I tried. Yeah, I tried. right. I tried to do it. It does not age well at all. It's like Flash Gordon. You ever try to watch no, that? No, I haven't gone back well? to Flash Gordon. Give that a crack. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Apart from the Queen music in it. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder, how the hell did I watch this 82 times when I was a kid? Uh, even the wings looked bloody wooden yeah. when I was back in the, yeah, the yeah, green the screen cinema. shit. <laughs> um, the parallax, everything. The whole thing, technically, it was terrible. Um, but this, it ages quite well. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen the original Tron for a while, go do yourself a favour and have a bit of a look at it because mm-hmm. um, it'll remind you of a lot of uh, a lot of things. And good movies remind you of a period in your life. You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. Cool. So that's Tron, the classic. That's about it for us for another week. Yes. Um, any last parting words? Well, there's only one last uh, set of parting words that we can uh, conclude with, and that is end of line. How many of you?